it, it's so often that we, when we're in a dialogue, that we have an agenda and we're there to drive the agenda without hearing the new information that's coming in constantly. Because, you know, sometimes maybe the agenda is flawed, it's lacking perspective. But if we're just driving that one agenda, you know, it's like a one-way train. And um, if we can't hear the possible problems with that, uh, it can go, it can, it can begin to create conflict, even though in our mind, we may believe that this is the right thing. But I think this, that's the key, is to always have consideration of the viewpoint of the other person, where they are, and then come to co-creating the solution rather than ramming in our agenda. You know, that reminds me of when this mandate first came on here in the south of Spain. And then along with that, they deployed something like 3,000 beach surveillance agents. So people that are just there monitoring that people follow the mandates. So our Summer of Light group was again <laughs> out there. We were walking on the beach and then I was witnessing this, this moment with one of these beach surveillance agents and an older man. And the man was minding his own business, walking on the beach without sandals, bare, bare feet, and, and he was clearly enjoying himself. And then this agent comes to him and starts explaining to him that that's not allowed. And he just could not grasp why, what, what, what do you mean? And it was just, he was getting into this like, annoyance and and you know like he was very irritated like why are you bothering me i'm just walking on the beach and and so eventually the guy just the, the agent just walked away and kind of just left the, the elder elderly guy alone and just kind of walked away and so i went to him and i said what happened there and then he said oh you know because you're not supposed to blah 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 and you know i just just recognized that behind that uniform there was somebody who also was very confused, you know? And I asked him, how does it feel to you to go to these people on the beach? Like, do they give you a lot of hate? And he was like, yeah, they do. It's awful. And I was like, wow, how tough is your work? And he's like, you know, most of the time I just turn away because it feels dehumanizing. Like these are just people on the beach and I'm having to go there. And it was just like the whole human connection that happened between him and, 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 and us. And, and then more came of our group and then more of the beach agents came. And there was actually four of them and four of us in the end who were having this real heart to heart conversation of what is wrong in our world where such mandates have to be enforced, where clearly they're not doing anything beneficial and it's just creating conflicts. And by the end of it, everyone just like agreed that this is not right, but not from a place of you guys are the enemy, but like, how is it hurting you that you're having to be doing this? Yeah. And we smiled and said, take care in the end. And, and, and real faith was restored in me for humanity, just from that place of authentic connection. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives.
In these times of sudden and intense change, the world on the outside can seem highly confusing and chaotic. We're being told various conflicting narratives. The world events are demanding that we recalibrate and realign ourselves so that we may take right action from the space of truth, clarity, and integrity. We're all being challenged to let go of old fears, to find the courage to speak boldly, and to join together with like-spirited community and usher in a more beautiful new world. But how to discern truth when there are so many conflicting narratives out there? And how do you know when it's appropriate to take action and when to take a step back, to get still, and to observe before acting? And how do you find the courage to speak boldly when there is so much on the line? To explore all of this, my guest today is the internationally renowned peace activist, Henna Maria. Henna is a practitioner of sacred healing arts and Amazonian plant medicines. She trained for five years with the Shipibo and the Essene lineages, and is specialized in the art of Ikaros, songs of prayer and healing. Last year, Henna and her husband Richard also founded the Western Origins Healing Sanctuary in the mountains of Andalusia, the autonomous region that's in southern Spain. Before being called to the medicine path, Henna ran prominent raw-centric vegan restaurants in London, and in 2019, Henna also founded the peace organization called Dawn of Peace. Her activism focuses on educating people about the spiritual reality of life, human and animal rights, medical freedom, and natural law. In 2020, in response to global injustice and oppression, Henna became one of the co-creators of Summer of Light, a conscious movement that celebrates health, freedom, and harmony by organizing peaceful street activism and inspiring events. In my opinion, none of the above do any justice to the pure light and love that Henna transmits in her words and in her action and in her presence. So please help me in welcoming the founder of Dawn of Peace, Summer of Light, my friend, the global peace pioneer, Hannah Maria. Woo! Thank you. Oh, so grateful to be. <laughs> Thank you so much, Edith. So grateful to be connecting with you today. It's such a gift. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're a very popular and in-demand lady, and there's a lot of projects and a lot of activism that you're involved in right now. So could you please help us take a step back? How did you come to be so clear, such a clear vessel for truth? Tell us about wow. your journey, your backstory, and your website has beautiful information about natural law. Give us a little bit backstory of how, because you radiate so much love and courage and also peace and light. It's like, it's a very unusual combination. And I think we'd all love to learn from you. Oh, thank you so much, Edith. Um, you know, I've, I've been from ever since I was a child, I've been a bit of a, a truth speaker. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's something that has come natural to me. And I remember in school, um, my behavior grade was always low because I would go, I would get into arguments with my teachers. They, they didn't appreciate that. I was like, are you sure it's that? That's what it means. And anyway, so I, I um, kind of struggled with that a little bit. I would say that 
I was known as a bit of a kind of a razor tongue. So that's been a journey for me to, to learn actually to be more gentle. So truth doesn't have to be like something that, you know, can trigger people. Truth can be something that builds bridges. So I think that's, that's been my life journey actually is learning how to, how to carry with the clarity and, and yet respect others at the same time and, and understand that we're all in a different journey. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, the, the calling to do this kind of work, I would say that the root of it comes from the fact that I, I have quite a difficult family background and uh, I come from um, a lot of conflict. And for me, I knew from a very young age that that was something that was kind of training me, you know, to, to keep my ground. And um, so I would resonate a lot with people who are going through difficult things in their lives. So from a kind of family trauma, I was called to just to look at the world for everything, you know, for, for all the pain that exists as well. So I was never in, in illusion of uh, living with rosy glasses, you know, and, and I struggled with that as a child, actually. I would ask why, how come my friends see their lives in, in such a different way? And, um, what would it be like to live in their family? You know, my, my parents divorced. And so I, I had this kind of a bitterness about me, I guess, like not realizing that it was, that it was to become a gift, you know, like to be able to resonate with others who also suffer. And so from a young age, I started doing activism and um, I first worked with Amnesty, Amnesty International. And I was part of a street uh, group that we were getting, um, just like knowledge to people about the laws in Finland that needed to change like human rights issues. So I was campaigning that. And then through my university studies, I got to work for UN and NATO to translate uh, peacekeeper trainings. In that position, I got to see that working as an interpreter, I had to be relaying messages that were actually creating conflict more than peace because as an interpreter i wasn't allowed to correct their message that that's the one thing that as an interpreter you're not supposed to do you have to be completely neutral mm -hmm. and so i would be witnessing conflicts being created in real time and not being allowed to to correct it wow. so i learned yeah so then i learned how conflicts are created by having to witness miscommunications and lack of clarity and um, a lack of cultural understanding, I then decided that this is not going to be my work. My, my work was going to be an, uh, an interpreter, but I realized I want to be the one saying the message and not the one relaying other people's things. So, mm -hmm. so that was my first work was being an interpreter. And then after, after I decided that this is not for me, I focused on the arts. So I was in a, in a creative, uh, expressive school and I was learning theater and English and getting really into poetry and really into, you know, how can we speak the truth uh, of our experience deeply? So I was really always resonating with that, the, the magic of connection through language. And so through, through theater, I was learning that, how to hold space, how to have contact, you know, when you're on stage, for example. And then just the universe conspired in a way that then I met my husband and he had just uh, come back from the Amazon. And then he 
inspired me to seek healing with the plants. And through that, then we were both called to learn the healing arts. So that was my kind of journey uh, with truth, with language, with healing into, I guess, the work I'm doing now. Can you give us some examples of how you see that people uh, try for peace, but they unintentionally create more war, more suffering, more conflict? Give us a little coaching around that, because I think, I think we can all agree that the vast majority of humanity have the best intention. We all want peace. We all want health and well-being and freedom and love. And, you know, we want our children to have a place to thrive and we all really just want the same thing, but we kind of come together and make a big hot mess out of things sometimes unintentionally. So please give us some example and coaching around that. Well, you know, uh, what I was witnessing in, in the work that I was doing with the UN and the NATO was the importance of culture. So when the, the peacekeepers were training for mitigation and for, for you know, having conversations with the local imam or the village leader or um, you know the the, re the rebel leader of the movement what was the most important thing was understanding the context through which they experience life and so even things like how do you say hello <laughs> like when you, when you meet somebody could be a beginning of a conflict if you lack the the comprehension of how it's done in their culture so i feel like that's something that we're not really seeing, you know, when we come to meet people, are, are we taking into consideration the, their cultural pack, background to start with, you know? What is considered respectful, for example? Do you give eye contact? Uh, do you, when you meet someone, do you straight away ask about their family? You know, these kind of things. So if you, if you lack that kind of comprehension, the, you can straight away signal unintentionally that I'm rude, you know? <laughs> So even things like this, so just like comprehension of the cultural differences that may, we may have. And second of all, it, listening, you know, it, it's so often that we, when we're in a dialogue, that we have an agenda and we're there to drive the agenda without hearing the new information that's coming in constantly. Because, you know, sometimes maybe the agenda is flawed, it's lacking perspective, but if we're just driving that one agenda... You know, it's like a one-way train. And um, if we can't hear the possible problems with that, uh, it can go, it can, it can begin to create conflict, even though in our mind, we may believe that this is the right thing. But I think this, that's the key, is to always have consideration of the viewpoint of the other person, where they are, and then come to, you know, co-creating the solution rather than ramming in our agenda. So that's what was happening a lot as well, what I was witnessing. This is so powerful. We can practice this all the time, how we chat with our friends, family, our neighbors. Yeah, you know, totally. We have every opportunity all the time to practice the, these simple principles. Yeah, yeah, totally. Listening, you know, like <sighs> listening, not, not just each other, but listening life. Like what, what I've discovered with the plant medicine work is that, you know, we are constantly receiving feedback. Just like, you know, when you're in a, in a dream and you have a vision in the dream, everything is significant, right? So like next morning you're sitting there, you're wondering, 
there was that red door. Why was it red? Why was it there? Why did I pass through that pond? What does the pond represent? So we're totally aware that everything is alive and everything is communicating to us in the dream world. But then when we wake up to this reality, we tend to forget that everything is just as alive and just as significant as in our dreams. So do we listen and do we observe our life? You know, the nature, the the meetings, the, the synchronicities, the, the, the colors, the numbers, I mean, we're constantly being talked to. Wow. You know, um, we homeschool our child and a lot of other families have been reaching out saying, hey, um, we, we're really interested in how to homeschool. And we do a form of homeschooling called unschooling, which is just no curriculum. But you're really helping me to feel even more confident because a lot of the learning and education that happens is just through how we, so we go for our trail walk and we're getting our exercise in the sunshine. But then when we're in nature, we practice listening to nature. And then that carries forward to how we communicate as a family, you know, and what, what, what we value, what we are we're educating our children about what is valuable in life. The, the value of slowing down, the value of understanding the mystery and aliveness in everything, you know, and all these things that we miss out on because our education system brought us up to value certain things and miss out on the vastness and magic and mystery of so much of life. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is the indigenous way, you know, the, where we come from, as all of us are indigenous to the land where we come from, of course. So we all have that spark of the inner gnosis, that, that indigenous wisdom in us. And the indigenous way is that everything is a teacher. And so I absolutely adore that way of, of bringing, up, bringing up a child, is helping them observe and, and, and live in reverence to the life that is constantly teaching us and guiding us and, and helping us heal and, you know, helping us grow. That's phenomenal. I, I love that. What are some other ways that you suggest that we adults who grew up in a conventional schooling system, what are some other things that we must re-educate ourselves on in order to be more effective as peacemakers and peacekeepers? Yeah, I would say the natural law would be the one key to to really begin to comprehend the meaning of our life, the values, um, the values that are at the core of, for example, human rights. So natural law is something that we don't learn in school, but we, we feel it. We, we, we connect to it naturally because it is, it's in us. It's so basically it's the principles through which life expresses itself it's coded in universe so it's the force that is governing consciousness and morality so in the same way like you know the visible natural law like uh, light or, or gravity is something that is real and immutable the same way this law of the unseen realm is also immutable and nobody can avoid it but what basically what's happening is that we're not aware, largely, we're not aware of these laws, the same way like we're aware of gravity. But we are, as a consequence, we are constantly suffering because we're not able to see what we're doing to lead us to these places. And so 
we all have heard of karma, the law of attraction. These are all part of the natural law. So the natural law has eight principles and they're based on the hermetic principles of the universe. But I would say that the two most important laws in the natural law would be the law of cause and effect and the law of correspondence. And by learning these two laws, I would say that your life does a, a magnificent uh, transmutation because you begin to see everything with reason. Suddenly you're not a victim anymore because everything makes sense. Everything's connected. So just to um, put it into a, a kind of a more intelligible context, law of correspondence means as above, so below, as um, the universe, so the soul, as within, so without. So whatever we are experiencing internally will be reflected in our lives, in our relationships, in just the way that we see the world, in how we feel our surroundings and in the consequences to our actions. So this is observable based on our inner state. And of course, everyone knows that based on if you're having a good day, everything just seems to go like very easy and smooth. If you're having a bad day, it seems like everyone around you is a jerk. <laughs> Everything's difficult, you know? So that's the law of correspondence. And then also it is under helping us understand the principles through which universe is working. So when we understand, for example, our personal healing journey, we can understand what is required for humanity to heal. So it's all about the micro and the macro. So really just even meditating on that every day, I would say is a fundamental key into inner peace, more clarity, more confidence, you know, liberation. And then the second one is the law of cause and effect. And especially in this time is an absolute key because what we tend to do as humanities, we tend to be stuck on the plane of effects, meaning where we are now. This is the result of the causality. And we don't travel to the origin of it. We don't look at the causality. We're just always like eternal victims of the effects. And we complain and we complain and we struggle and we suffer. But if we understand that everything is constantly created... So this moment, although we are in the plane of effects, is also the plane of causality of the next plane of effects. So by observing the reality of where we are now, we can begin to see what must change for the effects to change. So essentially it just means if we keep going as we are, we will only be recreating what is happening now this is this is what the loop that we've been in as a humanity for thousands of years that that we've been stuck on the plane of effects without consciously collectively changing the plane of causality wow that is um this is kind of like changing the paradigm that is underneath all the other paradigms yeah I can feel the power of that. That is so powerful, it's almost scary. Because what you're talking about is so simple. Mm -hmm. It makes so much sense. And I that most people listening are like, yes, 
instant resonance with what you're speaking. And then I'm just feeling into, wow, who would we be if we own that power? And then I Absolutely. feel kind of, it's scary. Talk to us about stepping fully into your power and your sovereignty and full ownership of that. And what are the challenges, the hurdles, maybe the temptations from misuse that happens when we step so fully into that power? Well, uh, first of all, I would say that if we were to be fully aware, fully conscious of the motives of our actions, our, our speech, our thoughts, we would step into creator consciousness fully. We would create from a conscious place. But what's happening now is we are still creators because that's our true nature, but we are creating unconsciously, constantly. And that's why the world is what it is. That's why we witness chaos, because we are in a state of unconscious creation. So freedom is the ultimate responsibility. And that's why it's so scary, because if, if, we're, if we're giving the possibility for us to choose the world that we will create, it means that we have to be fully conscious of everything. That's the scary bit, I, I feel. That's like the challenge. That is the, okay, this is the truth of who we truly are as beings, why we are here. You know, we are creator beings. So some people, when they come to feel that place of power as a creator being, they can lack the humility that is also required because whatever blind spots we have, you know, towards ourselves, to, towards our ego, for example, they will be part of the creation if we don't heal that. So I would say that the biggest prerequisite to being sovereign is, is doing inner healing work and truly, truly examining all of our shadows, you know, those things that we like to be in denial about. It's like, you know, in the modern cars, in the, in the mirror, when you're taking over a car, you have the red light flashing when you're in the blind spot. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to pay attention to because life is constantly giving us the red light. So we're constantly getting the feedback. If there's something that triggers us and we react from an unconscious place, it means that there is something there that we need to look at, you know? And when we systematically into these places and, and consciously look into these patterns of unconscious behavior, we, be, we are beginning to grow into that place where we can create consciously our lives and our relationships and begin to really heal this world, heal our humanity. You know, I know that you've done a lot of retreats and healing work and accompanying, facilitating other people's healing and myself also. I'd love to hear your wisdom about that because I've discovered that the vast majority of those old patterns where you get triggered and you behave in ways that you're not so proud of, and then it feels scary to look at that. But when you do look at it, you realize, wow. You just see those things with so much gratitude for all the gifts, the, the surprising gifts and magic that is unlocked when you choose to look at those dark shadowy patches. 
and you realize also that it's not really yours most of the time that it was patterns that you adopted because you chose to incarnate into a certain culture, a certain family pattern. And that is so rich and beautiful to recognize that part of our soul mission is to unlock some of those things, to be part of the solution of the healing of those patterns and, and then support other people in also healing those same patterns. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, like if we just have that grace to remember that anything that is a challenge for us or, or a burden has the potential to become a gift. Because when, once we overcome it, once we heal it, then we have the knowledge, then we have that resonance to be able to help somebody else in their journey of uncovering that wound and then healing it with love, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, it's like the healing journey. It's oftentimes just takes us to the inner child and we can be so hard on ourselves when we recognize these unloved aspects of ourselves that they come out as something that we think is ugly or, or that we're, we feel ashamed of. But when we see what is really at the roots of it, which we're afraid to look at often, but when we do look at it and we recognize 99 you know times of 100 it comes from that wounded child and so when we go to that place of recognition you can't help but love you know to go there with love and see okay so it makes sense that i behave that way it's not that i'm a bad person you know that i am somehow some kind of a monster when i get into that place no it's it's that wounded child lashing out so that's that's the liberation, you know? And then working with the inner child, we can reprogram those false beliefs. So oftentimes the reason why we react from that unconscious place is because we have this thought form that's born from a trauma. So it could be like, you know, I'm not loved as I am. I'm never good enough. And then whatever situation in life triggers that belief system, it's as if, the first time it ever happened, you know, it, it takes us to that very first moment when, when that thought form was created. And that's why we can act like a seven-year-old or a, a three-year-old. And it's, it's simply just given us a chance to go back into the root of it. So we do a lot of work with the thought forms and recognizing those, those sentences that kind of rule our lives, those stories, those beliefs. When we recognize, okay, I have to be perfect in order to be loved, for example, we can journey back and, and see when was this first created? And we can begin to remember how many times in, in a conflict that's come up until we find that first moment. What was the trauma that created that? What, what led me to fully adopt that belief and live my life through that? And when you recognize it, it's like the spell is broken. Then you're in a place where you can begin to work with it. Wow, you can, I think most of us listening can see how it would be a completely different world. The world up until now, so many people in quote unquote positions of power, making dictates on how the laws of governance written by unhealed children. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. Like hot mess of this society. Yeah. 
What is the vision you have? What will the world look like when we all choose to do this kind of inner work? What might say governments look like? What might say police or the laws and legalities in the apparent outside world? Like from this state of deep alignment, personal responsibility, humility, following natural law, what will the external effects look like, say, 10 years from now? <laughs> yeah, well, there wouldn't be any more governments, there would be no more police. Because if we fully aligned ourselves with natural law, we'd come to live with the knowledge of we have all been created equal in our rights. So that would mean that there are no positions of, of authority from one to the other. So it, it would mean that somebody who is taking a position that claims that they have the right to, for example, give a permission for us to do something or restrict us from doing something, not grant us a permission to do something, would mean that they're going against natural law. So that would completely make any position of, of governance null and void. That would, be, that would be against natural law. It would mean that we would simply live in harmony with each other as sovereign leaders of our own lives. That's what it would mean. And then it, understanding natural law, we would come to understand also morality. What is good? What is bad? What is right? What is wrong? What is true? What is lie? And this is something I feel a lot of people are quite, you know, they shy on talking about that because it's very popular to, to say you can't know the truth or um, it's, it's, it's your truth and my truth. Right. Or, you know, there is this kind of sense of relativism. It's very common in the modern world, in, in our culture, in the West anyway. And so because of this, there's so much conflict because we can't agree on the fundamentals of how to live, basically, you know, what is good. <laughs> so, because we're stuck on this kind of moral relativism, we keep having these debates about fundamental basic things. But if we were in total alignment with natural law, we could very easily decipher what is right, what is wrong. And so according to natural law, what is right is something that is based in truth. It means you can verify it exists, it's real. It's something that is either happening now or it has happened in the past. And it also must mean that it does not cause loss or harm to another sentient being. That is what is right according to natural law. So whatever would cause loss or harm to the rights, property, life, health, or freedom of another sentient being, according to natural law, that would be a wrong. So it would make things so much more simple. And if we all agreed on this premise, th these principles, there would be no more debates because we would just say, okay, truth is king. Let's just find out what is true. And then based on that, we will know what to do. But of course, that's not what's happening now. You know, this time is called... Uh, you know, the era of post-truth. So it's just a, a battle of, of, of narratives, battle of opinions. And there doesn't seem to be this reverence for let's just find out what is true and then let's respect that. Okay, I have so many questions. 
because you're helping us to build a bridge from the old world to the new world, there is going to have to be a transitional period. Yeah. Not everybody can snap a finger and be healed, right? So we do have a period of time where we need support and we're all at different stages of our healing and self-awareness. And even the most awakened of us have been on the healing journey, have done a lot of inner work. We still have aspects of our inner child that we still have to look at, right? So yeah. nobody's perfect here. We're all Absolutely. on this journey of growth and evolution and healing too. So there has to be stages. So the first thought when you said, well, we wouldn't need police is, well, there are some people acting really crazy and creating chaos. And some of us that are really focused on anchoring into truth and peace in that transitional period, maybe we do need police just for basic safety, right? And yeah. with government, I'm thinking, well, who will build the roads and who will, you know, like how will communities come together and set up systems that no one individual can do, but as a collective, we must do together, right? That's, yeah. what, that's what in an ideal world, I see a government as being truly representative of the people's highest good, you know? Yeah. 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 The, the word government, because it means govern is, is control and meant means mind. So it's mind control. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm straight away, you know, the word government to me doesn't fit in the new world. You know, I would love something like a council, you know, a council of elders, people that actually are part of the community and live humbly, you know, with, with their people and that everyone loves and respects and trusts. Of course, you know, this, this would be wonderful, but if, if it's so long as it's actually based on free will. So it means that people would actually agree, um, that these people, we are happy to have them as our council. And then, you know, we could organize as, as conscious communities and we could see who, you know, is skilled in, in engineering, who is skilled in, in arts, who is skilled in teaching, who is skilled in medicine. And I believe this is the way it used to be, you know, in the Vedic society, for example, or, or in indigenous tribal communities. You would just have naturally people who are drawn to a certain area and, and, and a certain field, and they would offer that service to the community. And we would all offer service to each other. And so, of course, you know, if somebody from a place of pain would, would create harm to others, uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, there wouldn't be any consequences. But there are so many ways that we can, we can respond to that. You know, like I think it was in New Zealand in the indigenous community where they have this practice where if somebody has committed a crime, uh, this person is, is taken to their kind of town hall, whatever, the kind of the gathering space for the community. And um, they sit around this, this person and they tell them all the good things that they remember from, from this person, all the good memories. So it's like they fill them with the love to help them remember who they truly are. They don't shame them, you know? And then from that place of mercy, one, one can let go of that pain. And I would love to see more of this, this kind of trials, you know? Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. Just like the tears thinking about a whole world where we choose to deal with conflict in that way. We choose to deal with crime in that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
And same with, you know, same with all the, the labels that we give to people that are having a spiritual problem. You know, we call them schizophrenic or uh, manic or psychopath or, or narcissist, or we have these labels that we give to people to separate them from us. And, you know, some people do act psychopathic or, or schizophrenic, but in my experience from the work that we've done, there's a very, very deep wound again at the core of this kind of behavior. So what would happen if instead of having these, you know, mental institutions with, with um, these labels and, and a lifetime sentence to, to be, you know, put into pharmaceuticals that alter your consciousness and, and your personality and your mood, what would happen if, if they were given a chance to be in a sacred ceremony and they were sung to? if they were held, if they were, you know, healed with hands, what, what would happen if they were supported? If, if, if they, if we would bring out the best of them once again, you know, how many of them have, have a spiritual attachment? How many of them are, are in, infiltrated by an entity? How many of them have something from the bloodline that has, you know, deeply, deeply distorted their energy? So we're, you know, we're not talking about these things in the modern society, whereas again, in the ancient times, you would have the village priest or the healer or the shaman who, who we would take the person to and say, this person you know, needs spirit, a spiritual operation. They need spiritual guidance. So in the new world, I would see that this, is, this would be a part of the pre prescription that you get when you're diagnosed that it's not simply a materialistic diagnosis, but it's a diagnosis also of your, your soul, what is happening to you as, as a whole. Wow. What in this world, if there were some other kind of public health crisis, let's just pick any, any public health crisis, mm. what would the council give us a taste of how this council might choose to problem solve those issues? Because I, I heard you say, you know, basically first do no harm, yeah. right? So it, that, I'm just hearing that that means very simply, we all come together as a community, look at the whole, go take an all-in analysis and find the absolute best win-win situation where everybody's needs are heard and met, which yeah. takes time, it takes humility, it takes patience, and sometimes you got to act fast. Mm -hmm. So what would that look like? What would that process look like? Because there's also an efficiency aspect to this too. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good addition because, well, first of all, to be able to de declare a pandemic, there should be a visible amount of a lot of people dying. There should be a lot of dead people. That was the original de definition of a pandemic according to the World Health Organization. So if that was happening in the new world, that there would be some kind of a phenomena, whether it's caused from radiation or whether everyone was drinking uh, polluted water, but nobody knew why. It was just that we were seeing a lot of sick people and a lot of people dying. Uh, what I would say to do is to ask everyone, how do you feel? And based on your sense of health, you choose to either retreat into your own home and get in touch with a medical professional and, and let them know, you know, how you're feeling or 
continue to live your life. If you feel completely healthy, you trust that wherever you are, this is not happening. Follow your inner voice and examine your environment. If you begin to see a lot of people getting ill and, and dying, take your precautions. So this would be, for me, I imagine like, if it was a nuclear war, uh, the council wouldn't have to say, okay, I'm having to fine you if you're not out, if, if you're not indoors hiding. No, everyone would do it because nobody would want to be harmed, you know, by the radiation. So everyone would just naturally protect themselves. But if this threat in fact, was not visible in any shape or form in your community, then it would be reasonable to ask, so is it affecting our community? Maybe not. Maybe there are these hot spots where it is happening. Maybe we can still continue to live our lives. And, and through that, then we can support these other communities, which are clearly having a crisis. You know, we can support them with, with food and with services because we here are fine. So I would say that a blanket rule to, to cover everybody would be insanity because perhaps that is not the truth for everyone. Maybe there are these certain areas and then we would really seriously need to begin asking questions. Has something been contaminated? You know? Now, I think what, it, what has been a blessing with this whole COVID uh, situation is that people have begun to learn about the terrain theory. And this is something totally new for most of us. You know, we've been living in the germ theory, thinking that microorganisms are pathological and they attack us and, you know, they do harm to us. And the cure is to get rid of them or to, to totally try and cut any contact to them. That's kind of the, the worldview that we've all been raised in, in the West anyway. Mm -hmm. But then... As this started, I'm sure you also came across and you must have known about it also before, you know, through your consciousness work, that actually there is a, another way to look at illness and, and, and wellness, and it's through the terrain, through the environment, inner and outer environment. So in the new world, if something like that was happening, we would immediately need to ask, is there something that is contaminating the environment, whether it's the inner environment or the outer environment? And so we would need to investigate and we would need to be willing to ask all questions possible and no questions would be banned. That would be, you know, in honor of truth, in reverence to natural law, all questions would be allowed and they would be encouraged. Is there no situation where somebody could say something? I'm, I'm thinking the people that support censorship are saying, yes, but that's dangerous information. So in the new world, is there no such thing ever as a dangerous person or a dangerous question to ask or dangerous information? Well, for me, it's a tricky subject because what makes something dangerous, you see? Like I, could ha I can have this glass of water and I know this is life-giving, but if I drank six liters in one go, it would kill me. So does, it, does it mean the water is dangerous? No, it means I'm misusing the water. So I, the question of is information dangerous would, for me, would me, make me ask, what is the intention of the person who's receiving the information and how would they 
implement it? And how could we control that? Again, isn't that personal responsibility for all of us? So that becomes an obsolete thing in the world where people live according to natural law because everybody takes personal responsibility and distills information and aligns with truth. Exactly. Everybody has that capacity within them. Yeah, they would be able to see, okay, so here I have technology that can harness energy from the dark matter. With this, you know, we could create heat to keep us warm in the winter. Or we could generate a weapon. Well, does it make that information dangerous? Again, no, it's just up to the consciousness of the person. And if everything is based on consent and free will, it would mean that in the community, we would talk about things openly. We would say, okay, here's this new horizon. We have this discovery. Mm -hmm. What shall we do about it? And we would all because we're sovereign leaders of our own lives, we would all be part of the decision-making. And if, you know, someone would say, I'd rather be a gardener or I'd rather be a painter, I don't want to be a part of the voting for the council, because I trust you, because you've proven to me through your integrity that you're somebody I can trust. So you, you can make the decision, because I know that you'll make it for the better of, of, of all of us. But this is, of course... <laughs> what's happening today at all we have the campaign speeches and as soon as someone gets elected it just gets distorted <laughs> as we know you know so that's lacking we can't trust those yeah, people and here in the united states many of us are voting based on not just this election but many previous elections the lesser of two evils yeah when i yeah. hear that people say well this one's the lesser of the two evils Oh, it, it breaks my heart into a million pieces. Yeah. I just think it's 2020. We can do so much better than to stoop ourselves down to electing people who are the less of two evils. What about yeah. the bright and brilliant with the even more bright and brilliant? <laughs> yeah. We have that. Yeah, that's it. it everything is... Everything happens by consent. And so if we convince ourselves that there is no other option, again, we go back into cause and effect, then we will never see another effect. If we continuously choose, you know, the lesser of evils, we will continue to see evil. <laughs> it's that simple. So I would just encourage everyone to, to learn about sovereignty, learn about the lawful process of becoming a free living man or free living woman and you know taking yourself out of that system that is built on hierarchy false authority unlawfulness in the face of natural law and if not now when <laughs> you know like we, it people are doing it. i know somebody actually a woman who is a sovereign and so she is basically her own sovereign nation state She's untouchable by the, by the juridical system as it is because she's her own sovereign leader of her own life. And, and thus she also takes full responsibility of everything. And that is what we all can do. But of course it takes a tremendous amount of inner work because then we can no longer say, oh, just do it on my behalf. It's like, no, I'm taking responsibility now. 
what kind of movement towards that is happening in your local community right now? Well, <laughs> we are out there on the streets. Just, uh, just this last Sunday, two days ago, we had an event in, in Fuengirola here in the, in the coast of Andalusia, where we were teaching people about um, human rights and medical freedom and the Nuremberg Code. So a lot of people don't realize that, for example, the regulation about masking, it is a medical intervention, no matter how mild it may seem, but of course it does have an effect on your health. So therefore it's a medical intervention. And according to the Nuremberg Code and the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights, Article 6, Consent, nobody can force a medical procedure on you without your prior free voluntary consent so here in spain you don't have that you have to wear the mask but you know our group from the summer of light movement we were out there on the streets and we had our 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 signs quoting the nuremberg code and it was very interesting how many people stopped to talk to us and say, now that you put it into the context of human rights, I'm seeing this from a completely new perspective. Yeah. I think it's really important to step back because our world has tricked us into talking about this as a pro-mass, anti-mass issue or a pro-vax, anti-vax issue and so on. That's the wrong level of the conversation completely. It's Absolutely. not about that. That is, again, getting stuck in the muck of the effect instead of going back to the root source, have the conversation and the problem solving energy focus on that root cause level, which is in that future world, all the brilliant scientists come together and share their expert opinion. And then we choose to listen and we choose to take that information as a community and as individuals and then choose freely to follow it. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, if you wish to do something that is, you know, now is being mandated or recommended, but if you wish to wear a mask, go ahead. That's, the, that's your free will. You can do that. But if somebody says, no, I prefer to breathe freely, you know, I eat really well, I sleep well, I take care of my psycho spiritual health, I'm a healthy individual, I'm not going to wear the mask. They are free to do so as well. You know, this, this is the new world. It's respecting the free will of every single one and respecting the intelligence and the consciousness that we all have to make our own choices regarding our own bodies. And that is, for me, that is the final frontier. You know, when it comes to war, for example, is our right to decide matters according to our body. That's, that's the bodily autonomy that to me is sacred. And it doesn't mean that we are separate individuals. So there's a nuance here that I think sometimes gets lost. For example, recent CDC statistics came out that, that really laid out that, and I just, before going into COVID stats, I just want to say I send so much love and just so much respect to each and everybody that was actually directly affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, frontline workers that have had very stressful situations put upon them. And, um, you know, it's not that nobody died, 
But when we look at the actual statistics, it turns out 6% of the deaths in the US as logged by the CDC had no comorbidities and 94% had an average of 2.6 comorbidities. Things like yeah. severe obesity and diabetes, type two diabetes and heart disease and so on. And as a holistic practitioner, and you also as a healer, I'm sure you've experienced within the time frame of, say, six months, if you support people with some kind of chronic lifestyle-related illness for six months long, you've never seen somebody not get better in that time. <laughs> yeah. It is like a very rare anomaly if somebody in six months' time, if they get the right support to do the inner work and to do the lifestyle upgrades, you've never seen people not get dramatically better, right? And we're talking about, this is people's lives here, humans. Yeah. Humans who are having, suffering with lifestyle-related health conditions chronically. And in my world, I feel, we would get all the scientists looking at all the comorbidities, all the cofactors, and really address those. Yeah. And so in this world where it's like, maybe the mass is a small piece of the overall pie, but we're not looking at the whole rest of the pie, all of these other aspects, like what a different world we could have created already by now. If six months ago we say, okay, it appears that there is some kind of a threat to our health. We don't know a lot about it, but less, really focus our energy on up-leveling people's underlying health yeah. so that we're not, you know, so fragile as a society. Like that would be one of the greatest ways to respond to something like this. Yeah, totally. Totally. Imagine if people were told that it's not just a stroke of bad luck. This life is not cruel like that, that we have the power actually in our hands to heal ourselves. It's actually our own body is made that way. It's regenerative. If we just give it space, if we just nourish it the right way. So I always think of the body as a garden, you know, what, like, can you plant beautiful things on a junkyard? You know, no, in order to heal, you know, this goes back into the, what we were talking about, the terrain um, perspective. Mm -hmm. If you imagine that your inner environment is, is contaminated, with, with even just with fear, you know, with stress, with these cortisol, you know, with these hormones that come from living in stress. What would it be like if you were told, hey, don't be so hard on yourself, focus more on joy. What gives you inspiration in life? Or hey, try eating more colorful foods. What would it be like if your plate looked like a rainbow every day? You know, like things like these, are you, are you um, hugging enough? Are you, are, you, are you showing your love to people? Are you listening to your favorite music? What would happen if everyone were just encouraged to really look after themselves, authentic self-care? What if that was the mandate? What would world look like? Yeah. And with regards to the mass thing, I think there's also an important piece of looking at all the levels of this. There's so many nuances to look at. I also quite disagree with those who've gone beyond just saying, hey, this is this should be a choice. This can be a recommendation and each person can be free to choose. And there's also an 
I'm just noticing this within myself, um, not very mature, reflexive rebellion, right? Yeah. That I think some of us are having to look at also that comes from childhood wounds. Yeah. There is a higher (laughs) level. Like calling people names. (laughs) Yeah, calling people names and creating more war, more suffering again, right? So this goes back to how we started the conversation. So let's say somebody really believes that they they need the mask for protection. And let's say you don't believe that. But there's a way in which these two people can dialogue and say... And then it becomes more of a cultural exchange, honestly, just like what you were talking about with the peacekeepers. Yeah. Oh, okay, you perceive it as being rude okay if i'm within six foot of you let's work it out i'll stand further away (laughs) you know let's have a dialogue let's work it out let's find a peaceful harmonious win-win where everybody feels their voices are heard let's find a solution where everybody feels safe and loved and transcend this kind of like stalemate and divide yeah, I got to say, like the, the last event we did, you know, the topic was human rights, the Nuremberg Code and the, the mandatory masking. And some of our group wore a mask during the event because you get a fine. You get a fine from the police if you don't. But some of us had medical exemptions, you know, some legal documents appealing to, to some of these laws. So some of us didn't wear a mask. But I, I made a live video from that and I posted on to Facebook. And you wouldn't believe how many people were commenting, take off the mask. It's, it's besides the point to, to wear a mask at a protest. And, and I was, again, like noticing exactly what you're saying, that why do we need to focus on that? Like, can you just, can you just allow that? That somebody may choose to wear the mask because of fear of being fined and still within their hearts fully believe that it's good to stand there and voice their concern for, you know, walking over people's medical freedom, basically. So like there is this phenomena of just like looking for the conflict. <laughs> it's like, isn't it enough that we're on the streets? You know, like, why don't you say thank you instead? Or say, hey, I'll do my activism wherever I am. And maybe I won't wear a mask and then see if I'll get a fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, if only we just were more encouraging of each other instead of so judgmental that would be a great start and then there is also the honoring of the aspect that there is a psychology at play and in my experience as a holistic healer we work with so many levels of our being physical mental emotional spiritual levels and we are aware of something called the placebo effect and the nocebo effect yeah right so it's really about the energy that you bring into a situation most of the time And also, if somebody is in a space, let's say they do have a very delicate health condition, and the science is not clear about the mass, but this person feels safer, and you're being asked to be supporting them in their healing, to be in your face is like, I refuse to wear a mask in front of you, even though you have a delicate health condition and you're really scared right now. It's like just horrible bedside manners, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So maybe wearing a mask to interact with that person is the right respectful cultural thing to do. And then after they've 
up leveled their health and they feel more confident, then you can, you know, find the right timing to address the mass issue that isn't like bullying somebody over, right? So I think those of us who see ourselves as change agents, activists, we're being called to find that elegant nuance to how to deal with these things. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It's, it's about building bridges and, and, you know, just that old saying of, you know, have you walked have you walked a kilometer in their shoes or a mile in their shoes? How do you know what they're really going through and why, you know, for them, it's, it's so important to, to have that boundary. And, and, you know, another way to do it could be just ask a question gently. I've, I've found in my work with the activism, especially doing animal rights activism, which is such a, a triggering uh, concept for so many, such, such a subject that many people just will lash out on you if you ask, well, what, do, what about the suffering of animals? Hello. Yeah, so I found that, that the Socratean dialogue method is the best, is, is to ask questions. You know? um, so often we can perceive activism as something that has to be like angry statements, whereas it can just be asking questions as well. That's my favorite kind of activism is, you know, igniting the inner gnosis, that inner place of wisdom through creating a safe space, first of all, not pointing fingers or, or judging people, but to ask, what do you think about this? Have you ever thought of this? Well, what would it be like if it was like this instead? And I find that that, that really does create really beautiful dialogues with people and oftentimes leads to epiphanies and realizations because we're letting that person, we're respecting their intelligence and we're letting that person, you know, think for themselves because that's what this whole issue is isn't it that we're being told this is the only way and and many people are just absolutely allergic to that even if it was the truth but how about encouraging people to to journey you know to explore things instead so maybe if that person was really adamant about the mask we could ask them well you know have you heard that the genetic you know material that uh, that's called SARS-CoV-2, that the size of it is actually 1,000 times smaller than the pore of the surgical mask. Have you heard of that, you know? Not from a place of, you know, you're stupid or something, but just like, have you heard of that? And what do you think that means? Is it actually giving you the protection you're seeking? Just things like these can, can be a life changer moment for somebody and say, okay, well, what could I do that's actually beneficial for me? Well, have you heard of things that boost your natural immunity? Have you heard of alkalizing foods? Have you heard of ozone therapy? And then there could be a whole world of, of treatments and remedies that, you know, one could get to if the person was open, of course. And those of us that consider ourselves change agents and activists to open to the possibility that this other person has something to teach us as well to open ourselves to really be a truth seeker without an agenda yeah not to even if it's asking a question sometimes you can feel like it's a leading question and that makes people resist also but if it's mm -hmm. from a state of pure curiosity pure humility pure love for truth with no agenda that's where wow we learn something from everybody. 
And then, yeah. wow, we get enlightened to that higher win-win solution where our voices are heard, their voices are heard. We both learn something from each other. And now we've transcended a high level of understanding where everybody's needs are met. And everybody is like, wow, this is so much better than I could ever dreamed because I chose to learn from you. Yeah, totally. You know, that reminds me of when this mask mandate first came on and along with it came all these very strict beach rules here in south of spain like you're not allowed to walk on the beach barefoot uh you're not allowed to exchange objects so no beach games no children's toys on the beach there's all these really really strict rules many of them and then along with that they deployed something like 3,000 beach surveillance agents so people that are just there monitoring that people follow the mandates and if not, they can call the police and then you can get fined. So our Summer of Light group was again <laughs> out there. We were walking on the beach. And then I was witnessing this, this moment with one of these beach surveillance agents and an older man. And the man was minding his own business, walking on the beach without sandals, bare, bare feet. And, and he was clearly enjoying himself. And then this agent comes to him and starts explaining to him that that's not allowed. And he just could not grasp why, what, what, what do you mean? And it was just, he was getting into this like annoyance and, and, you know, like he was very irritated. Like, why are you bothering me? I'm just walking on the beach. And, and so eventually the guy just, the, the agent just walked away and kind of just left the, the elder, elderly guy alone and just kind of walked away and, so I went to him and I said, what happened there? And then he said, oh, you know, because you're not supposed to blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just, just recognized that beyond that uniform, there was somebody who also was very confused, you know? And I asked him, how does it feel to you to go to these people on the beach? Like, do they give you a lot of hate? And he was like, yeah, they do. It's awful. And I was like, how, how tough is your work? And he's like, you know, most of the time I just turn away because it feels dehumanizing. Like these are just people on the beach and I'm having to go there. And it was just like the whole human connection that happened between him and, 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 and us. And, and then more came of our group and then more of the beach agents came. And there was actually four of them and four of us in the end who were having this real heart to heart conversation of, what is wrong in our world where such mandates have to be enforced, where clearly they're not doing anything beneficial and it's just creating conflicts. And by the end of it, everyone just like agreed that this is not right, but not from a place of you guys are the enemy, but like, how is it hurting you that you're having to be doing this? Yeah. And we smiled and said, take care in the end and, and, and real faith was restored in me for humanity just from that place of authentic connection. Wow. I think that's what everybody is just yearning to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. Yeah. You made, you made this beautiful video about the, the voiceless victims. I sobbed and sobbed when I watched that video that you made. 
movement. It comes from that same root source of policies that we make out of kindness and love and the willingness to see a situation from everybody's perspectives versus bulldozing over people. I had a conversation with Charles Eisenstein about, say, the lockdown policies really comes from a very privileged place of willingness to only look at the situation from a very narrow lens and not looking at everybody's human experience across all levels of society. What about all those who feed their children on the money that they made that day or that week? Yeah. What about our elderly population who who are the quote unquote high risk group? How could we care for them better? Yeah. I think you know it's it's so easy to get blinded and just look at numbers. But every life is sacred. So if you if you're telling me, you know, that we need to lock this place down. And now because of that, we have 125,000 people that are going to die because they're not going to get the surgery that was scheduled for them. What does that mean? Who gets to decide that the life of this, these individuals and the families that will suffer as a consequence are not sacred, are not something that we should protect? This is why for me from the get-go, this... this method of responding to this crisis whether it was real or fabricated isn't even relevant it's looking at how did we respond and what was the consequence of that and for me it's very clear that it did not come from the place of love or from a place of care because otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't delete the humanity of these individuals you know we wouldn't say, because you're 70, you're not allowed to go in the sunshine, like was the case in many countries. Over 70-year-olds had to stay indoors. Or like in Spain, children were not allowed out at all for three months. Not one single breath of fresh air. What does that mean? You know? I, so I think, you know, there's all this talk of the, the second wave like before we get into the panic about the virus, we should really think about, is it humane? Is it true? You know, is it, what are the consequences? And is every single life sacred? And if it is like, we both know it is. And I believe everyone knows at the heart of their hearts that it is, then that should be there in our decision-making. And we should have the, I would hope and invite that we communicate with our local councils, you know, maybe now they are the the governments, but there must be a way that we can talk to representatives and, and, you know, the city councils, the municipalities about these issues and defend, defend our, our right to life. That is Really the most beautiful lesson to learn about all of this is to return to our humanity. To return to slow down so that we can really connect heart to heart with one another. Take time to listen deeply. 
to learn what it is to create peace. It's a beautiful initiation. Yeah, this truly is an opportunity. You know, this kind of crosses can activate a lot of people. It can activate their gifts. It can activate their voice. And I feel for those who are, you know, wondering what would happen if I began to take action, would there be consequences? I would just ask them to, to go 20 years ahead and look back and ask yourself, would I regret having done something? If I knew something was wrong, would I regret that? Or would I regret not having done anything? So that's what gives me the strength to, to go there and face the police every time we have our events. They're circling us like hornets in a hot summer day. <laughs> and we had, I think it was eight patrols altogether <laughs> came. <laughs> but um, it's not because we're trying to defy something. It's because we're trying to guard something. We're trying to guard humanity, what it means to be human. You know, we're trying to hold that torch for, this, for the next generations. That there are still free humans left here. And we do still respect life and natural law and free will. You've given us so much to meditate on today. Where can we learn more about natural law and study up on it? Well, I would recommend a sacred scripture called the Essene Gospel of Peace as a spiritual handbook to natural law. It really has everything, but it's in the form of poetry and in scripture. So I would say that is a book for a lifetime, actually. <laughs> but it's all about the law, this book. Um, in terms of wanting to have a lecture of somebody, a, a modern teacher of natural law, uh, there's a man called M Mark Passio, who is really a, a phenomenal teacher when it comes to this subject. So he has a very interesting background in actually the dark side of things. Uh, he was a dark occultist who came to see the light and then dedicated his life into teaching people about natural law, truth, morality, and the esoteric heart of Christianity. So he's a great teacher. He's got seminars on online that you can watch. And yeah, that would be another one I would recommend. And how can we follow and support your work, your websites and different projects? Yeah. yeah, so you can find me on all the social media with Henna Maria 22. 22 is my kind of a sacred number. So <laughs> that's how you find me. And then dawnofpeace.org is the website for our peace organization. Summeroflight.com is the initiative for this kind of joy-based activism, which has started this summer. We're trying to do conscious street activism and, and create events that empower and inspire people rather than create conflict. So you can find me there and, and I'm happy to, to answer emails as well. If anyone has ideas or incentives that I could support or co-create something with. Beautiful. So I could chat with you all day, but it's <laughs> over there. It's bedtime. Thank you for staying up late with our time difference. I so appreciate you.
But I'd love to wrap up our beautiful conversation with one last very important question, possibly the most important question of all. Our show and our community is all about supporting one another, inspiring one another, and stepping into the highest levels of human possibilities. What, in your opinion, after all these years, all these adventures, so much healing that you facilitated for others as well, and as a peace activist, what, in your opinion, is the single most important thing we should know on our journey of transitioning into our highest levels of human possibilities? What comes to me uh, is one word, and that is mercy. And mercy for me is the highest vibration of love and mercy means that it doesn't matter if we make a mistake if we repeatedly f up and do bad things if we have the love for ourselves to ask for forgiveness we will receive it if it's sincere we will always find mercy and also to have mercy on others, you know, understanding that they are all on a journey and that nobody is acting in, in these ways, in these, you know, destructive, chaotic ways without pain. So even if we see that what they are doing is wrong or against their true self, to have mercy, you know, to, to recognize that sacred divine potential that lives within them too. And perhaps we can do something to spark that up. So that is, that would be my one rule for everything is mercy. Thank you so much for that beautiful heart opening, soul activating conversation that we had today. I'm Thank you, speechless, Edith. to be honest, Hannah. I'm speechless in so much gratitude for you mm. and the beauty with which this transmission comes through you. Thank you so much for being who you are, all that you do, and the essence that you came to the planet to bring. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Edith. You, you hold an incredible space and you really inspire the best out of everybody. You have this magic spark about you and, and please keep sharing it. We need it so much <laughs> in this world. Thank you. Wanna say bye? Bye. bye. Thank you, Hannah. You wanna come say bye, honey? Everybody likes to say bye on these shows. Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Blessings. Bye. Hi friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, dredithubuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.